This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Driving while black. Motor Trend magazine just dropped a really interesting piece. Yes, we get readers who say, you know, stay out of politics, stick to cars. This is not politics. This is a human rights issue. Coming up in this episode of Colors. In Portland, Oregon, when a group of mostly white mothers showed up to protest in solidarity. I realized that there was something about it that I found troubling. Robin Gavon, celebrated writer from the Washington Post and an African-American woman, was conflicted. I was distressed that there seemed to be such a need. Uh, for these white women to to speak up in order for what the protesters were saying to be really acutely heard. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Okay, drop it right there. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors. And Chris, partner, we are very fortunate again today, and frankly, we've been fortunate every day since we've been doing this to have some really amazing people on the program to talk about this very serious topic of race in America today. And today we have Robin Givon. She's the Washington Post's fashion critic. She writes about fashion as a business as a cultural institution and as pleasure. She's the 2006 Pulitzer Prize winner for criticism and author of The Battle of Versailles, the night American fashion stumbled into the spotlight and made history. She's written an amazing piece recently called The Black Lives Matter Movement Hits a Different Kind of Wall. You said the wall of moms lined the tumultuous streets of Portland, Oregon, placing their bodies clad in bright yellow shirts between fellow protesters and law enforcement. The women stood arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, wearing armor reflective of their privileged lives, scuba masks, shiny bike helmets and white skin. The allies had arrived. And reading on to that article, it seemed as though you had a bit of a problem with that. Would you explain, Robin? Well, when I started writing it, and, and it was right after having sort of seen their arrival in Portland, I, I realized that there was something about it that I found troubling. And um, writing it was, in some ways, just an opportunity to explore why it made me uncomfortable. And I, I think often we try to see things in terms of good and bad. And I realized as I was writing it that, um, you know, things, particularly when it comes to race, are, are so much more complicated and that it's possible to feel both good and bad about uh, what was happening uh, simultaneously. 
And so I felt thrilled that here were these, these women who um, had gone out into the streets to join protesters. Um, these white, mostly white women who identified themselves as mothers and who were bringing all of sort of the cultural um, signals that come along with motherhood and the idea of uh, the unconditional love and the fierce protectiveness. But at the same time, I was troubled by the fact that their arrival had, uh, they were set apart and they weren't described as protesters. They were described as having put themselves between officers and protesters as if they were something else. And I was distressed that there seemed to be such a need uh, for these white women to, to speak up in order for what the protesters were saying to be really acutely heard. I, I'm, I'm interested in, in something, Robin, and it, JJ started with the quote, so I'll, I'll quote from your piece as well. I'm an African-American woman. I teeter between relief that this latest outcry for racial justice has so many white allies and frustration that those white faces are necessary. It's interesting to me that JJ, on a couple of other occasions on this podcast, also has been surprised by how many white people there are at these protests. I'm curious to uh, try to understand why you are surprised because there always been white people involved in the civil rights movement as long as I've been alive, starting, and I mean, before I was alive even, starting back in, in the 40s and certainly through the 60s. So why is it a surprise? Well, you know, when the first, these protests started to happen, I was talking to my father who, um, you know, is African-American and he grew up in Mississippi. And I asked him if uh, these protests reminded him of the ones in the 60s. And one of the things that he said to me was that um, they felt different because they were so much more multicultural, multi-ethnic. And I think what is, is so striking to people is that um, in some cases, um, it, is, it is a predominantly sort of multi-ethnic group that's protesting. It's not uh, a predominantly Black group that's protesting along with um, other, you know, other members of, of the culture. And I think the other part that is somewhat surprising is um, not so much the participation, but the fervor of the participation. And also the sense that for so many of the protesters, the white protesters, that they are not doing it to be of service. They're doing it because um, it is something that affects their humanity racism affects their humanity just as much as it um, affects the humanity of people of color. But that's a good thing, is it not? It's absolutely a good thing. And, you know, as, as I said in the piece, there are so many things, there's so many aspects of it that, that are encouraging and wonderful and gratifying and laudatory. And yet, there is also this nagging sensation that 
the presence of those white allies, the presence of the fact that the, the group is so much more multicultural gives it a greater legitimacy than if it were solely black voices speaking. Yep. I get exactly what you're saying, Robin. I feel you. And Chris, you've heard me speak to you about this before, well before Colors came along. And that is this, you know, we've had this discussion about, I tell you something and it registers, but if somebody else who just happens to be white tells you the same thing, it registers differently. And somehow it seems in some cases, not saying this is you, but in some cases, depending on the person that, that I've told it to, it seems to have more gravitas. I hear exactly what she's saying. Um, you know, there is this welcome. You're here. It's good that you're here, but it's troubling on a personal and uh, 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 realistically speaking that it's necessary for people to pay more attention or to give it more gravitas. Um, the only way that they can do that is to have these white faces show up. Why can't it be because of what it is? I get what she's saying. So the question I have for you, Robin, is you write in your piece, be a proud ally. Yes. But must it be all over your Instagram? <laughs> can you yeah, tell um, I, I have nothing against Instagram. I am on Instagram. <laughs> Um, but it sort of goes along with um, the place that we are in society right now where, you know, does something really happen if it hasn't been documented in so- on social media? Um, you know, there's, there's a part of me that certainly, you know, the, the media coverage, the media has, has named the white protesters allies. And in some respects, I feel that, you know, that's, you know, part of the problem because you, you, I say like, why do they need a separate name? They, they are protesters just as much as anyone else is protesting. They have a vested interest in this. So why must they be named separately? And there also is, is definitely a, a bit of performance that happens, a sense that, you you want to let others know that you are part of a movement, that you are supportive. And just the way that that happens now in our culture is, is not by, you know, having a conversation about it across a fence to your neighbor, but it's posting it on a social media account so people can give you likes. Okay. Well, uh... Okay, there are two separate things you said there. One's about social media. I'll get to that in a second. The first is talking about the way that the protesters are reported and they're differentiated by color. Sounds to me like you have a bigger issue with the reporters than you do with the the protesters themselves. Is that correct? Well, I I have issues with both because I do think that um, the reporting has... um, has set the white protesters aside. It has underscored um, their their role in elevating, and to some degree, um, you know, that that is the nature of where history has brought us. That there is this necessity to have uh, black voices, voices of color, amplified um, by those who are white. Um, But there also is the part of 
people um, sort of taking on the label of ally and, and wearing it as sort of a badge of honor, or, or at least wearing it as something to, to be proud of. And while I think the, the actions are something to um, take a certain amount of pride in, I mean, I do wonder why anyone would really want to embrace that label because I think it's, it's an incredible burden and I think it's complicated. And, you know, it, there are so many contradictory ways in which people argue uh, that um, an ally should behave. You know, to me, it's, it's an unnecessary burden. I mean, I wouldn't want to take that, take that label on. Well, you, you seem, it seems to me that, and this is the other part of what I wanted to ask, uh, if I read your piece correctly, you're saying that you don't think the millennials are really much different than the baby boomers is, uh, and, and I guess those in between the Gen X. Um, am I correct? Did I read that? Did I read that right? Yeah. I mean, I was really struck by the, the fact that on, on the one hand, I think we do presume that millennials um, are a much more sort of enlightened generation because they came of age at a time when, you know, borders were porous and popular culture was this mishmash of all kinds of culture. But, um, you know, the, the surveys have uh, shown that just in terms of attitudes about race, they are not that much more um, uh, uh, evolved than previous, the two previous generations, that it was actually I, I just, the baby I, I, boomers who made sort of the biggest leap from the previous generations, um, but that sort of baby boomers, Gen X, and millennials are much closer in their feelings about race. Let me, let me just follow up on that, because uh, one of the themes that has been consistent in uh, the podcast that JJ and I have done has been that things are improving because of millennials. And I, I will say I'm a baby boomer and my daughter's a millennial. And the way that she views the world is entirely different just because she's aware of everything, just as you write. I mean, she's grown up with um, a lot more black culture than I did, frankly. Uh, she's grown up with a lot more um, people who are different from all, for all kinds of reasons, sexual orientation or or just whatever. Um, and she has, uh, you know, she's, she has tried to, I mean, I don't want to get into this whole thing again about what she does for a living and all that, but, but she is really trying to make a difference in the world. And I see that among her. Yes, they do take selfies of the black lives matter in the street kind of stuff. I I'll admit that. And that, that may be cheap. But that's a, a part of the bit. problem, Chris. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And, and that, that maybe cheapens a little bit, but do I think you, their attitude you... and I think their feelings are real. My opinion, just as as a dad of a millennial, Robin. Sorry, oh, I, I absolutely believe that their opinions are, are real and sincere and are coming from a very earnest place. I also think that they are much more adept at um, having conversations about race. I think they have um, more incisive language um, to discuss it. But I also think that you know this is the same generation that. Um, doesn't quite grasp oftentimes why the N-word isn't appropriate to be used, even if you're singing along to rap lyrics. 
Um, I would say that there were people, you know, marching in Charlottesville who fall under the category of millennials. And so while I think that as in previous generations, there was absolutely um, a greater sensitivity, awareness, openness for those who um, don't look like you, I, I do think that um, some of it has been overstated yeah. or that the uh, experiences and the sentiments of uh, Gen X and baby boomers, boomers have been underplayed. Yeah. You know, I, I, I see where Chris is coming from, but I think Chris, you are looking at one side of this. You're looking at the side of this um, that that essentially addresses the millennials that you know. Your daughter, you raised your daughter, and your daughter's a wonderful young lady, and she does embody most of those things, those positive things. But there are a ton, I can tell you for sure, of other millennials that do not embody the set of values, the core values <laughs> that you instilled in Tabitha. Uh, and I can guarantee you that I've seen this and that you might too, if you were in some of the other places where these folks exist, what, what Robin was saying is exactly correct about that Charlottesville situation. And if you go to certain parts of the country, people of that same age group have not changed one iota. They're still doing the same things, saying the same things, thinking the same things. And if, you know, a lot of what I do, as I've said before, is national security. And when you do that, you have to do some social media stuff. Uh, and you see some of the things that come from some of the people that are engaged in it. You know, it is a bit problematic. I do have. A are, you, are you not? Are you not as optimistic, JJ, as you as you have been other times that we have talked with other guests, like when we talked to um, James Brown, for example, and he was saying, "Yeah, but it's different now because my kids, you know, are, are looking at this differently. Things have changed. We're not going to go back to the way it was. This time, it's really going to be different." Do you not feel that way now? Oh, optimism and realism are two different things. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's true. Okay. <laughs> So I'm optimistic, but I'm realistic, too. And the truth about being optimistic, you can't be optimistic if you're not <laughs> if you're not embracing the full picture. I mean, to me, from my perspective, what I said to James Brown and Christine Brennan and Dorothy Gilliam and Ernie Green and all of those folks is simple. We live in a different time. Things are going to change. But people are the centerpiece of this whole process. What people think, how they act, what they do, what they say, what they don't. You know, we can drill down on this all day. But the simple fact of the matter is you can't say all millennials are less racist uh, than their parents. That's just my Okay. Opinion. So, Robin, I want to ask you, um, where do we go from here? <laughs> um, I, I wish I had the answer to that. I think we just, you know, keep keep going. I think we keep trying and we keep talking. And, um, you know, and, and we keep joining in, joining, uh, you know, our, our voices together. I mean, I think that is the only answer. That's the only direction in which we can go. Um, and, you know, and I don't want to be, you know, Debbie Downer. <laughs> I am, I am very optimistic and I am, um, and I think that it is a wonderful thing. It's a wonder that 
um, you know, the protests look, look so different and um, have been so um, vigorous. But I also think that we have to keep having conversations about why some voices are um, believed more urgently than others and why we separate some people out as exceptional and, um, you know, sort of put them on a pedestal, Um, why we don't um, believe uh, when people in a community of color are saying that something is happening, um, why we need video evidence of it. Um, But as long as we keep talking and moving forward, you know, we will continue to advance. That's why we're doing this podcast. This is exactly what we're talking about. (laughs) Well, and the other part of this thing, too, is we don't always agree. I mean, that's the whole objective here. Um, We're able to talk about things and to do it in a respectful way um, as friends. Um, But we have very different views about things. But, Robin, we're so grateful that you spent some time with us. Are there any... yeah, I was just I was just going to say that, you know, the fact that you don't agree is to me, it, it's part of the point because we're all individuals. We're not going to all agree. I think the challenge is that we all have to live in this sort of gray area in which we are respectful mm-hmm. and and loving to each other. But knowing that we are in, we live life in a gray area. We don't live life in, well, not to be a cliche, use a cliche, but black and white. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it it would be you, Robin, that would say that on this show. And it sounds exactly like it should. It's taken exactly the way it should be because you are so, some of your writing is so biting it is so to the point sometimes I, I don't know if people understand you know the talent that it takes to do that to be clear concise and to say what's on your mind and be respected as you are but you have exactly nailed it though this is not a black and white situation it's a it's in the gray well, thank you so much for saying that so robin thank you very much for coming on we really appreciate your taking the time and the insight it's uh, helped make our podcast even better Thank you so much. And I know your daughter is lovely. (laughs) (laughs) She is. Thank you, Robin. Thank you. You're listening to Colors. My name is Jose Pereira. As an immigrant from Portugal, I owe a lot to this country, of which I became a citizen back in 2001. I cannot recall any incident where I felt discriminated against that I'm aware of. My own encounters with police have been related to driving offenses, mostly speeding, even though the thought of blue lights and sirens behind you can be terrifying. My first thought always has been, how much is this going to cost me? And I never felt fearful for my life. Up until a few years ago, I really thought that this was the same experience for everyone out there. Having married a strong black woman opened up my eyes to a different way of thinking. We have a long way to go, and I must admit that a few years ago when the Black Lives Matter movement started, I used to say, all lives matter. Now, I understand the need to say, Black Lives Matter at this time, since white lives have always mattered. My name is Diane Butts, and I live in Washington, D.C., 
I'm the mom of two young adults, black men in America. I worry about their safety every day, as I have since they were born. The Black Lives Matter movement that launched a few years ago has taken on new meaning following the death of George Floyd. It coincided with COVID-19, and that means more people have gotten involved. The revolution looks different to me now, with people of all colors, ages, even corporations and sports teams standing up for the cause. I'm hopeful now that change is coming for my sons and for all of us. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. JJ, I, uh, I, I, I like talking with Robin. Um, I'm still somewhat bothered by the fact that she's concerned about the motivation of people who are supporting Black Lives Matter. And I, I get it. You would rather have people coming out to support it um, from the goodness of their heart rather than because they want to put it on Twitter or on Instagram. But nonetheless, honestly, if they're out there for whatever motivation, I'm happy to see it. Am I wrong about that? Well, you're saying whatever motivation, and I mean whatever. I'm I'm thinking you mean whatever good motivation, and we get that. Yes, yes, that's you're not. No, you're not wrong about that. I think the difference, though, in what you're thinking and what Robin was saying, and I clearly got that, that it's great, everything that you're talking about, people being out there supporting the cause for whatever reason. But she internally, like many others, African-Americans and others, and I feel this way, too, from time to time, it's kind of sad that it has to be that way, that we actually need someone else to validate to others that what we are saying is what we are saying and true. That's, yeah, but I don't see how it's I don't see how it's validating. I it, it, to me the point is it seems to me that the point is for black people and white people to figure out when they are doing automatic stereotyping or being racist or being harmful, and for the other side to say, wait a minute, that that I don't want you to do that. That that bothers me. And it can it can cut um you know cut both ways and I uh, so but what me, she's, that's yeah go ahead but Sorry. what she's saying is you're not wrong what she's saying is we've been saying this forever but now people other people are saying okay we see what you're saying and now suddenly the world has figured this out do you you get that yeah but that's good it is good but I mean, the point is we still she still and everybody that kind of feels this way wonders why did it take so long and why couldn't you take my word for it <laughs> well i understand that that's I, what I, she's I, that's what she's saying that's what she's well, saying can i ask you um just a simple question and i and I'll, i have a reason for asking you this is the word dixie offensive to you depends on where it's used i mean if it's um if it's a cup no uh oh i hadn't even thought about the cup Huh. If it's a plate, no. If it's a location, if it's a reference to uh, a location, if it's a reference to a thought process, if it's a, if it's a dog whistle, I got a big problem with all of that. Okay, I, and that I understand. Here's why I'm bringing it up. In St. Petersburg, Florida, there is a high school called Dixie M. Hollins High School. 
Uh, it was named after Dixie M. Hollins, who was the first superintendent of schools of uh, St. Petersburg or Pinellas County, really, in Florida. And he took office in or took the job in 1908. He was a very progressive guy for 1908 on race relations, hired black uh, teachers, uh, believed in education for both, believed in integration. This is 1908 in Florida. His name is Dixie. That's his name. And it, it's not a matter, it's not a nickname, it's, it has nothing to do with the dog whistle. The guy's name was Dixie M. Hollins. Well, they voted to change the name of the high school to just Hollins High School and to eliminate his first name because they thought it might be offensive. To me, that's a step too far. That's silly. Told you that was going to happen, Chris. Dixie Martin Hollins Sr. He was born in 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 Lamar County, Texas, and, and he died in Pinellas County and did some things there. As you say, he was progressive by those standard, standards of that day. But this is a part of the reason why we're, we're doing this program is because there has to be some kind of boundaries to all of this. I mean, there has to be some kind of uh, process whereby, I mean, my name is Jesse James, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I know that. So, you know, and to be clear about this, I am not named after the outlaw. I am named <laughs> after my father, whose mother's maiden name was James. So we got her middle, her maiden name for our middle name. So the, the point that I'm making about names, you can't really mess with that. I mean, changing the name of the school for reasons that have to do with things that he did and what he stood for may be a problem, but I'm kind of in, I'm, I'm on your side with this one. I can't I mean, quite see it, that. It sort of cheapens the whole movement. If you're, if you're going to say we need to take down statues that offend and we need to take down names that offend, then truly they should be names that offend, not just because the guy's name, it's an odd name for a guy. I never heard of a guy named, well, yes, it was a baseball player, but uh, that probably was a nickname in his case. But, um, you know, I, I, to me, you start, you, start, you start to cheapen the whole thing if you kind of go to this extreme. But um, anyway, do you, do you go by JJ because you didn't want people to think that you were named after an outlaw? Are you serious? <laughs> Are you really serious? No, I don't know. <laughs> I, I knew that was your name. I know. Uh, listen, no, you probably have forgotten if you ever knew what my first job was in the in 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 my career probably forgot but i was a dj i mean my job first job out of college at hampton university was a a, a dj and what i did was i worked on a radio station doing club mixes <laughs> and the general manager of that station thought it would be clever to call me jj JJ the DJ. No, just JJ. I mean, the DJ <laughs> part is kind of stupid, but uh, JJ. But that's how that part happened. I mean, interestingly enough, my father was always referred to as JJ, but I never was until then. But that's how that happened. And it had nothing to do with the whole gunslinger outlaw business. It was just uh, a career thing that stuck. And lo and behold, here I am all these years later in news, a very serious journalistic pursuit, and I'm still called JJ. And I'll tell you a really quick story. When I got to my first real news job, it was at a CBS affiliate in Norfolk, Virginia, WT, 
AR. And there was a hurricane coming through. I was on duty that night. CBS called and asked if I would file some reports for them, and they asked me my name, and I said, it's J.J. Green, and the producer said, she says, what kind of name is that? <laughs> Are you still there? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, and you said, mine? Yes, I did. I said, so what kind of name do you want me to have? <laughs> but, you know, it's really interesting how people reacted to that name over the years, but... Uh, there you go. You get some weird stories on this show sometimes, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I don't know. Where, we kind of traveled down a, a a path that I didn't know we were headed to, but that's all right. But you got anything else for me, or are we ready to wrap this puppy up? I think this is enough, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I do, too. I think it's fun, too. So, Well, let me just uh, say this before we go. You, yeah. I, I've known you a very long time, and we have our moments where we don't agree on things and where things seem a little tough. But I just want to say this. It is a real pleasure. Serious to be able to do this with you. It is really a pleasure because you're a funny guy. I mean, you're a serious guy and you get, you get things, you get kind of up in the air sometimes about stuff, but I really enjoy this. Thank you. Me too. I'm JJ Green and I'm black. I'm Chris Core and I'm white. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. This is our 15th episode. We thought it'd be different in this podcast to, instead of having a guest on, as we usually do, to just talk to each other about what's on our mind yep. and equally important what's on your mind because we've now been getting email. We're going to get into some of those and some really interesting issues between us. Do you, uh, when you're with black friends, do you guys ever kiddingly or affectionately use the N-word with each other ever? And we're going to have some more of these really fantastic audio postcards that you hear from people. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Please email us with any suggestions uh, or comments or ideas for discussion. You can email us at thecolorspodcast at gmail.com Bueno, llegó la hora. The hour has arrived. Time for us to go. But before we go, we want to say thank you to a bunch of people. Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Jocelyn Chesson, Melissa Howell, Deanna Howell, Christian Bartolin, Sam Millstone, Brennan Hazelton, Kyle Cooper, Sean Anderson, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Greg Strassel, Ellie Rowe, Thomas Warren, Lisa Weiner, and for the music, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Diamond Ortiz. And most of all, a huge thank you to all of you for listening to us. And finally, just remember, keep talking to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.